Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So we're going to be spending some time, mostly that's where we're going to spend most of our time in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, a very familiar passage. We're going to kind of teach a little bit today. You okay? I'll probably get, probably get the preach up in me, but we'll see. We'll see how we go here. So there's this, this character, this strange character that we see in the beginning of the Gospels named John the Baptist. You guys have heard John the Baptist. I always like to picture John the Baptist as like one of these guys that like lives under an overpass somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Like he just, he's just kind of like out there. He doesn't smell very good. Come on, he's just he's just out there, and he's not just out there. Listen, he's not just out there like living. He's like out there, kind of mentally. Like everybody's kind of like, man, this guy John the Baptist. He's kind of freaky. He's kind of weird. He he lives out he lives out in the out in the boonies, and he's got some people that follow him. They're also pretty strange. He's got like crazy hairs. He really needs a haircut. He needs to, come on. He needs to visit the barber. He's just this weird guy, and he's and he eats locust. Which, which in those days, you know, when I think of locusts, I think of the locusts that we have as a kid. They're actually cicadas, and they go, nah, 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 right? But these are more like kind of a little bit more like grasshoppers, and he eats those and honey. Like he's got a total vegan diet. Well, maybe it's not vegan because he's eating grasshoppers. It would be, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you would, organic, organic diet. So uh, he's got this crazy diet, right? And he's got like stuff in his hair. And it says that he wears like camel hair and he has like a leather belt, which is, it's good. At least he's got a leather belt. And so, you know what I'm saying? I mean, at least there's something going, going on right with his, with his wardrobe. And so he's this guy that's like living out and he's a prophet, which, you know, it's kind of obvious by the way he looks and the, and the lifestyle he lives. And he's preaching this message that nobody likes. And the message is repent, which means to change your mind. How many know that not just the prophets of God are saying repent, also the prophets of the world are saying repent. Everybody's telling you to change your mind. If you got your mind right, the world is telling you, you need to repent. You need to not think this way. You need to think this way. And everybody's saying it. And the reality is, is this, is we both can't be right on what the right way is. In fact, I would suggest this, that several decades ago, we got into this thing called postmodernism that says that we can both be right that there's no absolute truth. There's just, there's, there's your truth and then there's my truth. But the problem is that, that leads to a lot of confusion and it leads to a lot of frustration because we can't agree with what is truth. And so you've got this culture that's saying, hey, I want you to repent of what you're doing. Christians, you need to repent of how you are. And we're telling the world you need to repent how you are, and then John the Baptist is saying, everyone needs to repent. And he's baptizing people. So they're repenting of their sins. Baptism was a, was a custom of the day that when somebody was entering into a new life, they're changing, quote-unquote, religions. They're, they're entering into a new path. They would go through this thing called baptism, which we celebrate still today, where someone goes into the water. They're saying, my life is being buried. And they come out of the water, and they say, now I'm walking a new life. And so John is saying, repent and be baptized. And people are doing that. So then Jesus shows up. Now, Jesus and John are cousins. It's probably been a while since they've seen each other because John lives out in the boonies. Now, when we say John the Baptist, we're not saying that he's, he's like a like he attends like First Baptist. He's John the Baptizer. Okay, in case you, in case you wanna, wanna say, see, it is biblical to be a Baptist. <laughs> and it is. Also very biblical to be a Pentecostal. Come on. So Mark chapter one, verse, 10, verse 14 through 15. So John's preaching and then Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, John, I want you to baptize me. My ministry is about to start. I want you to baptize me. And John's like, man, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And then Jesus is like, hey, it's, it's got to be fulfilled. You've got to be the one. You're the one. Baptize me. You've been preaching repentance. I like that message. Everybody needs to change their, their mind. 
So why don't you baptize me? So Jesus is baptized. And so, in, in fact, a lot of John, a lot of Jesus' disciples were John's disciples first. And so you've got these, these, this band of guys and they're following Jesus. So John gets arrested, and which eventually leads to him being a martyr, him being beheaded. But it says this, that after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the gospel of God. And this is what Jesus says. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. It's here. The kingdom of God is here. And this is what he says, just like John said, repent. However, Jesus adds this word to the message, repent. He says, repent, it's good, and believe. The kingdom of God is here. Change your thinking, change your direction, and trust me. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. So what does it mean to repent? To repent means that you change your thinking and you change your direction. Did you know your direction is determined by your thinking? And your believing is determined by your thinking. And believing is the beginning of behaving, right? We've talked about that a lot. So what does it mean to repent? The, the, the word in the Greek is metanoia. I'm probably saying it wrong. Some of y'all will come correct me. It's metanoia. It means this, to change one's mind or purpose. Or purpose. Have you repented? Have you changed your mind? When you came to Jesus, because we, 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 we like to say, I received the Lord. I asked the Lord in my heart. But have you repented? Have you changed your direction? You say, no, but I believe, but have you repented? And it seems to be something that's pretty important because Jesus is saying, if you want the kingdom, you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind. You've got to change your direction. So here's the call of Jesus, repent. Because when you talk about believing, you have some people that will come up to you and go, well, don't forget repentance. Right? And then if you're preaching repentance, many people will say, well, no, it's not about repenting. It's about believing. But Jesus preaches both. Paul preaches both. What does it mean to repent? Repent means to change your mind, change your direction. Believe means to actively trust. So we've been talking about in this series. So Paul preaches the same gospel, Acts 20, 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, everyone, that they must turn to God in repentance. Not just turn from sin, but turn towards God. So John was preaching repentance, and people were turning from sin, but they weren't necessarily turning to God because they weren't turning to Jesus. This is why John is the forerunner. He's, he's teaching people, hey, you've got, to, you've got to think differently. If you don't think differently, you're going to miss it. So he says this, must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So what does Paul preach? Same thing that Jesus preached. Repent and believe. This is the reality. Many stop sinning. You can go through a 12-step program and stop drinking. You can go through a 12-step program and stop looking at porn. You can go through a 12-step program. You can do a lot of things in your life through discipline to stop sinning. You can repent. You can repent of your sin. You can change your direction without Jesus. And many people think, I've started following the Lord because I've changed my direction. But they never did the second part, which was belief. And then you have other people that say, we talked about this last week, that faith without works is dead and works without faith is dead. So you have a lot of people that say they believe, but they have no demonstration of that belief. So the stopping sinning to change your direction doesn't save you. What saves you is following Jesus. 
believing in Jesus, trusting Jesus. So when we think of repentance, we think we think a, a man standing, go, come on, I mean, Google it. You'll probably see some John the Baptist looking character with a sign on a street corner or at a football game with a big old sign that says repent. And everybody's like, I don't even know what that means. And we, we, we think that, that repent is this message that means turn or burn, right? Turn or burn. Stop sinning or you're going to go to hell. There's truth in that. There's absolutely truth in that. Many times it's done in the wrong spirit, but there's truth to that. But beloved, get this. We are not focused on sin, we're focusing on Christ. That's why it says repent. And he's not just saying repent of your sins. He's saying repent of everything. Repent of being Josh Brown. Because when I was 18 years old, I had a plan. I was pretty good at architectural drafting. So I had a plan. And then when I got saved, I was like, well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to design churches now. I kind of modified the plan, right? So Jesus got a hold of me, and he said, no, I've got a new path for you. I've got a new direction. It's time for you to repent. I knew that I needed to quit sinning, but what I didn't realize is that God wasn't just asking me to come out of my sin. He was calling me to come out of my direction, completely turning and following Jesus. Whatever it is, Lord, I'll do it. Repentance. The problem that lies in this is if we focus just on sin, and this is what many have done in the past, and I've done this, that I've focused so much on sin and not on Christ that I battle sin because that's all I'm ever thinking about is sin. Where the solution to stop sinning is found in him. So the only way that you can really repent is through Jesus. He's the only one that can give you a new start. He's the only thing that can make everything fresh in your life. He's what can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The only way, the only way you're going to have a new direction is by trusting him. So you can stop sinning all day long and you can become a better citizen. That does not make you a follower of Christ. You've got to follow him. You've got to trust him. And whenever I'm focused on him, I become like what I'm focused on. And then I start looking like Jesus, but we have all these people going, I've got to stop sinning. I've got to stop sinning. I've got to stop sinning. And what do we do? We sin. Christ is the focus of our repentance, not our sin. Turn to God in repentance. I've come to learn that thinking about my sin all all the time is a great way to make me sin conscious. So at the end of the day, I go, man, I did pretty good today because I didn't sin as much as I did yesterday. Or I only did it three times this week. What is that? That's sin consciousness. What I need to be is more Christ conscious 24-7. Then I realize, oh, you know what I realized? (laughs) I just quit doing that thing. Have you ever done that? Have you ever missed it? I have this this thing that I do. I'm very, like, (laughs) detail-oriented. Really? Yes. And so, like, little things bother me. And so, like, I'm thinking about little things all the time. It's just kind of my nature. Not a good nature. And so, what happens is, like, a couple weeks ago, I was like, I I told Leslie this week, I was like, hey, remember, that used to bother me so much? She was like, yeah. It's like, well, it doesn't really bother me that much. (laughs) A move of God will fix everything. And I'm just like, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that. I'm not, I'm not troubled by that because I'm not focusing on that. I decided I'm not going to quit focusing on that, and it's not going to rob my peace anymore. It doesn't have permission to rule the condition of my heart. I am going to focus on the Lord. I'm going to focus on what the Lord is doing. But get this. Sin is abhorrent to God. God hates sin. There is no question God hates sin. But the solution for not sinning is not by focusing on our sin, but it's focusing on Christ. He is the rescuer of sin. When you say Savior, what you're saying is you're saying, Lord, you are the one that rescued me from me. You're the one that rescued me from my sin. 
That's what Savior means. It means you needed a rescue. Have you come to the point in your life where you realized that you needed a rescue? Most today don't trust Jesus like that because they don't see themselves as fallen. They don't feel see themselves as needing rescue. So they go, well, following Jesus sounds like a good idea, so I'll add him on. Repent and believe. So which is it? Is it repent or is it believe? What makes someone saved? Let me suggest this to you. It's two sides of the same coin. Repent and believe comes together. You've got to repent to believe. The only way you can trust Jesus is if you trust him. <laughs> is if you change the direction of trusting Josh and his works and what he can do to trusting Jesus and doing what only he can do. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. Believing Jesus requires a changed mind and direction. And he doesn't just call us to have this moment of repentance. He calls us to a lifestyle. That's why it says in Matthew 3, 8, it says this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. How do you produce fruit? By keeping with the mindset that you've changed. How do I keep following Jesus? By keeping your trust in him. So Romans 12, here we are. Therefore, this is very, very popular scripture. I want, I, want to, I want to just kind of walk it through with you guys. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Keeping with repentance, the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That does not mean that God has three wills. It just means his will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Don't make a mistake there. Let me break this down for you. Verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Don't miss it. Don't miss the mercy. Get this. Listen, it all starts with our view of God's goodness. It all starts from understanding that God is good, that he's patient, that he's kind, that he's loving in view of a God who is merciful, not a God that is, that is pent up with anger and frustration and tension towards humanity. No, no. In view of God's mercy. And what is his mercy? His mercy is the cross. His mercy is what Jesus paid for on Golgotha, the place of the skull. See, the battle always starts in our mind. In view of God's mercy, when the battle in the mind starts seeing God clearly in the mind, the place of the skull, it all starts at the crosses, cross, in view of God's mercy. Then he says this, he, he, he mentions worship. He talks about true worship. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What is true worship? Remember Jesus said worship in spirit and truth. What is true worship? True worship are, are lives that honor the Lord. We, we, I would say that we did a pretty good job today. You did a great job of worshiping in spirit. We did a great job. We love that. But as we leave this place and we go live our lives, we get to worship in truth. We get to allow those encounters to be played out. 
Lives that honor the Lord. Philippians 2 tells us this, that, that, that to have the, the same attitude. Some translations say the mind of Christ. And what is that? That he didn't consider himself equality with God, something to be grasped. But instead he gave himself. He was sacrificial. In view of God's mercy, I am living in true worship, a life that is laid down. Have you laid your life down? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Oh, I just love the Lord so much. Just love him, right? While you're being ugly to the person that cut you off. Come on. Oh, I just love, I'm just, I'm just worshiping the Lord. You got the worship blaring in your car. You're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, until someone comes in, and then you have the ability to demonstrate the love of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ, and you don't. You failed to worship in that moment. Doesn't matter what music was playing. Doesn't matter how high your hands were raised. Were you willing to be like Jesus? Being like Jesus is worship and truth. Lives that honor the Lord. Then he says this. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And this is where he's really getting into, hey, it, it's, it's time that, that we rise up, that we stop being conformist, that we stop just kind of going through the motions. And when we talk about worldliness, this is, this is what people used to say. If you, uh, if you wear modest clothing, or you, uh, you know, if, if you don't wear makeup, because all these, if you go bowling, my dad told me when he was a kid that if you went bowling, that was a sin. It was worldly. Now, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But when we're talking about worldliness here, we're not necessarily talking about an activity. We're talking about a mindset, the pattern of the world. Not just the behaviors of the world. Paul talks about this a lot. Not just the behaviors of the world. We're talking about where the behaviors start in the mind. The patterns. The patterns of the world. So, so worldliness is, is as much, and I would say even more so, a mindset than a behavior because mindsets always follow behaviors. I'm sorry. Behaviors always follow mindsets. So the enemy, get this, is in charge. He's the prince of the power of the air. He is in charge of those that aren't surrendered to Jesus. You guys know this, right? He's the prince of the power of the earth. So he's, he, he's, all this, all the lies, all the deception, that's the devil. Now, sometimes it's easy to think, oh, that's people. The people are the enemy. Well, the, just like the Lord uses people, the devil uses people. And just like we want to really focus on the Lord when God's using people, doesn't mean we don't honor people, we do. We also need to, need to remember that the devil's using people. And we don't get our attention on the people. We know, we know where that spirit's coming from. Y'all okay? So the devil always works in this thing called deception. It's always his tactic. He's always, and get this, and you know the spirit of the age right now. His tactic is always to call a good thing evil and an evil thing good. That's why there's so much argument right now on what is virtuous. So what does the devil do? There's two illustrations that we have in Scripture about how the devil functions. One is this, where it says that he masquerades himself as an angel of light. Is he an angel of light? Not anymore. He ruined that by thinking he was as good as God was. So what does he do? He masquerades. He knows how to look like an angel. So he goes around, and he's like, hey, I'm, mas- I'm kind of showing everybody this is the way. This is light. What is he doing? He's deceiving. He's not an angel of light. He's trying to distract you from Jesus. The other thing that it, that it says this about the enemy is that he roams around like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. Jesus is a roaring lion. But he's like a roaring lion seeking who made it out. What is he doing? He's, he's a deceiver. He's always deceiving. When he went to the garden, he was deceiving. He's manipulating the word of God. Whenever he, when he shows up to tempt Jesus, what is he doing? Manipulating the word of God. Questioning Jesus' identity. The whole time, he is a deceiver. Jesus said this. He's, 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 a, he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. He is a deceiver. So he doesn't necessarily need to get you in bad behavior. He just needs to get your mind thinking on something that ain't true. 
And this is why there is so much confusion in the world. And beloved, get this. This is why ideology is important. Because there, there, there is a lot of jacked up ideology in America right now. There is a lot of it trying to work its way into programming your kids right now in school. I'm not saying you need to pull your kids out. I think more people need to equip their children and send their kids in. But you might need to pull them out because it is getting darker and darker and darker. And the enemy is deceiving subtly. He's just been doing it. We, we've all seen it. I don't have to convince you of this. But ideology is important. But this is what the world does, and this is what the devil does. He makes every issue, every moral issue, this is what he does. He makes it political. Because Christians are kind people, and they're nice, and they're not allowed to be political. So now the moral issue, come on, is a political issue to get you to shut up to get you from speaking up, to get you to buy in. And they'll throw a little morality in there. Why? What is it? It's all ideology. Make sure you are subscribing to the proper ideology because there's ideologies that aren't even of God that are influenced by believers or influenced by the Lord, and there's a lot that's not. And so don't eat the bait because it's a hook to bring you in. It's a, it's a hook to get your heart Bitter towards the church. Bitter towards God. It's important. I had this thought this week. I was sitting on the, the patio. It got nice for a little while, and I was sitting on the back porch. And I was just, just like every day, just like you, scrolling news. <sighs> bad news. It's all bad news. If you notice, it's all bad news. It's all, it's all trying to get you angry. It's all trying to get you upset. Come on. It's all just there to get you to click on that link. Either maybe you're afraid or you're mad, so you click on the link. It's all, it's all just to get your money so you click on that link. It's not, maybe not even your money. It's the advertiser's money. Just if you can click on it. And I'm just thinking about all this craziness and this crazy ideology that the world. I'm not just talking about like your left or right. I'm talking about way extreme on either side. And I'm thinking... What? <laughs> this is the, some of the most ridiculous ideas I've ever heard. That if you're a meat eater, it's because you're a racist, bigoted man. Like I, I saw, I saw this thing, and I was like, "What in the world?" I'm like, people, <laughs> people subscribe to this kind of ideology. And I thought, good thing, I serve a risen King. Good thing. And I think that that needs to be our mantra, beloved, that whenever we see something that's going to be corrupt in the White House, and it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, there is going to always be corruption in the Oval Office. There's always going to be corruption in the local government. There's always going to be corruption. And I'm not saying that we don't do anything about it. I think we should. But get this, get this, get this. We don't serve a government. Good thing I serve a risen king. And that dictates all my ideology. That dictates all the way that I function and live in the world. Some of y'all are thinking, he gone, he gone political. I ain't gone political. I've gone biblical. Somebody else has made it political. Listen, we've got to stop conforming to the pattern of this world. And, I, and I'm afraid more of the world has got into the church than the church has got into the world. And beloved, we've got to get into the world. And we've got to get the world out of us, the spirit of the world. We need to filter everything through the word of God and yield all of our emotions, right? So much virtue. <laughs> so much virtue in not eating meat. Listen, maybe you're, I don't, I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you're vegan or whatever, and maybe it's some moral conviction. But don't, don't start calling people racist because they want to eat meat. People are going to be like, man, he's preaching on politics. I'm not preaching on politics. If you think I'm preaching on politics right now, you've already bought the, bought the hook, line, and sinker. You've already taken the bait. Get over it. Get in the word. So he says this, be transformed. Oh, gosh, got a long way to go. Be transformed. 
That word in the Greek, be transformed, is metamorphu. And that word metamorphu is not, is not a caterpillar, you know, growing an extra set of legs or extra set of eyes. That word metamorphu is a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. That you are totally becoming something different. Your diet's different. Your function's different. You're totally different. This is the thing. Believing in the wrong, wrong things will transform you into a wrong thing. Let me say that again. Believing the wrong things will transform you into the wrong thing. So it's important what you believe. Number five is this, the renewal of your mind. And this is where we want to spend the rest of our time, the renewal of your mind. And he says this, if we, our minds are renewed, if we're not conforming, if we're living true worship, he says this, then you'll be able to test and approve You'll know, you'll have an understanding of what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. How? By the renewing of your mind. If you will live and walk out with repentance, with a mind that has been made new, guess what? You'll know what the will of God is. And God's got a good plan. He's got a good will. But your mind has to be renewed to know it. Have you been renewed? Uh, Hebrews 11.3 says this, by faith we understand that the universe was formed. By faith we understand. By faith you can have a renewed mind. By faith. But it takes faith. By faith we understand. By faith we understand the will of God. Well, no one could understand his ways. His ways are higher. Why don't you read that in the New Testament? It says, yeah, his ways are higher. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But he has revealed it by his spirit. And his spirit renews your mind. By faith, we understand. And we can understand the ultimate will of God. We know the ultimate will of God is that the kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven. By faith, you understand that. Some of you are like, oh, that doesn't really make sense to me. you got to have faith. you got to trust it. And once you trust it, you'll have an understanding of it. Not just reason alone, but by faith. Faith-filled reasoning. I'm not telling you to not have reasoning. Because this, this is what us charismatics do. I've been in this thing for a long time. So we go, we go, we go, oh, yes, Lord. By the removal of the mind. <laughs> right? Just removing my, come on, everybody, don't think about anything, right? Don't overthink it. Uh, and you can't overthink things, but, but we get to this thing where there's oh, just kind of, just not, don't think, don't think. <laughs> just feel. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> please, please don't do that. Because then you're all kinds of way out in left field. We're like, where, where, where did you get that? Because you got, you got caught up in feeling. So how do we have a renewed mind? Well, we think differently. We've talked about that repentance. We've talked a lot about filling our mind with the Word of God, filling our mind. When we talk about meditation, we, that's kind of, you know, for Christians sometimes we hear the word meditation and we're like, oh, <laughs> demons out, right? We're like, we don't like that word. Did you know that the psalmist David used the word meditation a lot? Well, the, the world's idea is this. Meditation is emptying your mind. In the kingdom, meditation is filling your mind. What are you meditating upon? Well, in the kingdom, we're filling our mind with the word of God. It's not the removal of our mind. It's the filling of our mind. It's the renewing of our mind. See, a renewed mind is a well-informed and well-equipped mind. So don't, don't throw your brain out. Clean it up. We know Ephesians 5, that Jesus cleanses his church by the washing of the word. How do you, how do you, you need a brainwashing. That church is trying to brainwash you. Yes, the rumors are true. We're trying to brainwash you. It's true. And guess what? The world is too. And they already have. Because you've got, you've got like 12 or 14 hours a day where you're scrolling and reading news articles and listening to podcasts that have nothing to do with the Word of God, we are, we're filling our minds. We need a brainwashing. We need the renewing of the mind by the washing of the Word. Jesus says this, John 17. Well, I like Jesus. I don't like the Bible too much. Sanctify them by the truth. 
How are we sanctified? By the truth. And then Jesus says this, your word. Jesus is actually praying for his disciples. He said, Father, I'm asking that you would sanctify them, that you would clean them up by your truth, by your word, which is truth. You know what word Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. Oh, we don't like the Old Testament. God's scary. Right? He is scary, but he's scary good. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. He says in John 6, he says, my words are spirit. We must worship in spirit. My words are spirit, and they are life. So how do we have a, new, a renewed mind? By thinking differently. But not just to deposit, but by walking in the Spirit. Romans 8. Shift gears. Romans 8. You ready? Y'all okay today? Yes. You're a little bit quiet. All right. I know why. There's an individual here that usually shouting me down all the time. So she's not here today. All right. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. Now, when we use that word flesh, you're like, oh, that's, that's a weird word. What Some translations use the word carnal nature. Some trans, Paul sometimes refers to the, the flesh as the old man. Your flesh is this, your natural you. Oh, the, the, you know the thing that you're justifying all the time? That's your flesh. You know where you sin because that's the way you are? That's your flesh. So those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. Listen, your flesh is always going to have desires. You can justify those desires or you can purify those desires. And most people want to justify their desires, but not the beloved. The beloved want to have pure desires. That'll preach. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires desires. Where's your mindset? Is it on you? How to be the better you? How for you to stop sinning? Or is it on what the Spirit desires? Set apart for God. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Oof. That's why you're feeling so much shame and condemnation. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. You want life and peace? Listen, there's a life and peace that walking in the Spirit can offer that a video on YouTube can't offer. There, there, there is a life and peace that nothing that the doctor can prescribe will give. There is life and peace that can only be found in walking in the Spirit only can be found in walking in the Spirit. The mind governed, it's an important word, governed. I know, we're super independent people. We don't want to be governed. But the mind governed by the flesh, it already is governed. It's just who's governing it, you or God. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Well, I'm not hostile to God. Are you governed by the flesh? Yeah, but man, I love God, yeah. Guess what? You're living in hostility towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Listen, you will never please God through self-effort, through carnality. Only please God by trusting him, by placing faith in him, and allowing him to be the root source of everything that you do in your life. The result of walking in the spirit is this, life and peace. And we all want that. We all want exuberant, exciting, heart-filled, vibrant, yes, life. We all want it. The problem is, is a lot of people are trying to chase that life instead of chasing the spirit of God who brings it with him. And so what we do is we go, oh, I, I, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And when I get that, it'll be, I'll be fulfilled. But you're not. 
then it just moves on to something else. So the renewed mind is a mind that is governed by the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to be governed by the Spirit? First of all, it means this is that you're aware. That you're aware. Bill Johnson shares an awesome illustration. He says, it's like having, walking around with a dove on your shoulder. Like you just know it's there. You're careful because the dove's on your shoulder. If you, man, I'm sounding like a, like a 40-year-old, like white Republican man right now with this illustration I'm about to give you guys. <laughs> Um, so if you go get your CDL, <laughs> jeez, what a mess. If you go get your CDL, one of the things, I don't have my CDL, but I'm glad that there are people in my life that do. And if you go get your CDL you're, you're, to be able to carry a, a firearm on you legally, then what, what I've learned from people that go through those classes is they develop an awareness of being equipped, right? They know how to respond to dangerous situations. They're always aware that it's there. They're very careful. What I've, what I've found is that people that are like really into guns, I'm not really into guns, but I like guns. They're cool, but I'm not really into them. And part of the reason is, is because I have a little bit of an awe and a reverence for guns. They're a little bit scary. And so when I handle guns, I'm like, oh, oh. But you know what I've found is that people that are really into guns, they also have that awareness. I was at a friend's house this weekend, and we we're, hand, we're looking at some guns that they had. I'm not going to tell you where they live because I'm going there in case of the apocalypse. So, <laughs> And so we're handling this, their guns, and, and one of the guys that's there with us is, like, really handling the gun. Like he's like, but he's, like, doing it carefully. What is it? It's an awareness. He knows that this thing is powerful. And so even though he's functioning with it, he has a continual awe and reverence of this firearm. I have a reverence and an awe for those firearms that says, oh, man, I don't know if I can touch it. It's like having a baby. If you're walking with a, I, I'm, I'm tripped out by holding like, a baby that's under six months. I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, I love you. Bless them, Lord. <laughs> Let's give them back to the parents. Why? Because I have an awe and a reverence of this child. I know that I could, I could, I could drop this child or lift them wrong and they could, you know, their neck or something. And I, I, it's a little bit scary. But listen, when we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we need to have an awe and a reverence that I am filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, I live intentionally, but I also live with an awe. I live a continual awe and reverence that I am filled with the Spirit of Christ, that every, every sickness must bow to the Spirit of Christ. It doesn't have to bow to me. It has to bow to him. Every bit of addiction, guess what? It has to bow, but there's a reverence. Oh, man, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, whenever I, whenever I want to sin, I go, oh, I couldn't do that because I don't want to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. What is it? It's an awareness. Just aware that he is there. And the second thing is a yieldedness. Yielding. I don't think yieldedness is an actual word, so I don't have it on the notes. An awareness and a yieldedness or aware and yielded. See, a mind led by the Spirit is yielded to the Spirit's leadership. This is the deal. When we talk about the Holy Ghost, and this is why people get kind of turned off, is we think feelings. No, we're like, oh, yeah, man, I really felt the anointing today. Ooh, Shabbat. Right, we're getting all crazy during service. We're jumping up and down. We're like, Wah! we're after the Holy Ghost. Yes. Love it. I love that those things come along with charismania. Pentecost, whatever you want to call it, just being filled with the Spirit of God, being a Spirit-filled church. We love all that. We love all the feels. We love the weighty presence of the Lord. But listen, His primary role is not feelings, but leadership. His primary role is not to make you just feel good when you're worshiping Him. His primary role is to lead you into all truth. And the truth is, God loves you, and He wants you to feel His affection. But the truth is also that God hates sin, and you go, oh. I'm yielded to his leadership, so I can't do that today. I can't go there today. I can't join in the gossip today because the Holy Ghost is inside of me. See, if you can shout loud and jump high, but you can't talk straight and walk straight, you're walking in the flesh, not the spirit. 
doesn't matter what happened in the service. It matters how you live. Romans 8, 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. So we've got this mindset in the world that caters to your carnality, that caters to your flesh. And when we talk about carnality, we're not talking about deep, dark, gross sins. It leads there. Carnality is just simply living independent. Living a life that's not yielded to the Spirit. Doing you. Me first, this whole movement, me first. Put yourself first. Love yourself. You, 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 you're so wonderful. You know, all the self-declaration. Listen, that's got to bow to your identity in Christ. You are incredibly loved. You're deeply loved. I want you to have a positive confession from that point of view, but it is not about you. This walk following Jesus is not about you. It's about the one that you're following. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, awesome. I would love for you to join the team, but you got to deny yourself. You've got to change your mindset and from following you and following your dreams and following your hopes and being the best you. And you got to lay all that down if you want to follow me. See, I, I'm not asking the Lord to fulfill my dreams. I'm asking if I can fulfill his. Because his dream's way better than my dream. Because my dream's going to die when Josh Brown dies. But I want to follow the dreamer who knows how to dream, that has a good dream. I want to follow that man who knows how to dream because he fulfills dreams. But he don't fulfill yours. He fulfills his. So independence is self-government. It's hostile to God. So this puffy thing, oh, you just want to feel good. You know what happens is they're like, I'm just so depressed. I just feel so bad about myself. Why haven't you found life and peace? Because you're after the flesh. It's it's all this propaganda telling you to just be so self-important. You know what it is? It's not Christianity. It's humanistic. It's exactly what it is. And it's carnal. It's carnal to be self-absorbed. If it's all about you, it's all about you and not about him. So repent, because he is all about you. And I would rather God be all about me than me being all about me. That's where I want to live from. The better you is the lesser you. The better you is the lesser you. And this is the reality. The reality is you can't trust Jesus without moving trust in yourself. You just need to trust you. I don't trust Josh Brown. Not a chance. Not a chance do I trust Josh Brown. Do I trust what God's put in me? Absolutely, what God's put in me, not what I came up with on my own. And we said it earlier, he is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your trust. Because those who trust in the Lord will not be disappointed. We're finishing up right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's another way to renew your mind. We demolish arguments. Right. There it is. You demolish arguments. You don't have arguments, you demolish them. Especially the ones that are going on in your head right now. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God the carnal mind. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. What is that? Yielding. It's yielding. That that word take captive, we take every thought captive. He uses the word captive right there because captive is what you would do if you took if you were at war and you were having warfare and you took someone who 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 is is defeating you and then you took that person and you arrested them and then you put you locked them up. So I learned from a counselor about five years ago. He said, he said, Josh, he's like, the problem is, is you're just trying to eliminate every bad thought. He's like, first of all, you've got to sit there. You've got to take that thought captive and make it obedience to Christ. Your willingness is to get it obedient to Christ, but you haven't taken it captive yet. You haven't owned it. And so I had to take these bad mindsets that were causing me to be depressed, for lack of a better word, 
And I had to figure out what that was, and then I had to take it. And then guess what? I didn't just take it and go think about my thoughts, think about my thoughts until it goes away. No, no, no. I took it, and I brought it in to the obedience of Jesus. I submitted it as a prisoner of war. I said, you know what? I am not my thoughts. I decide what I think. This is not a healthy thought. This is not what God thinks. This is not what the Holy Spirit desires of me. This is not what my marriage looks like. This is not what my lifestyle looks like. I am not defined by my failures. I'm not defined by the things that happened to me in high school. I'm not defined by what my spouse said to me, my ex-spouse said to me, my parents said to me. That is not what God said. I take that thought captive, and you know what I'm going to do to it? I'm not going to hold it and be bitter about it. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to go, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead, and I'm going to yield it, and I'm going to give it to you, Jesus, because you're worthy of every thought I've had. You're worthy of every broken moment I've had, every bitter thought I've had, every thought of destruction I've had. Jesus, I just give it to you. And this is how you renew your mind. Will you stand with me? Every thought of faith that you didn't have. I, I've been believing God for a building, and guess what? Well, it's probably not going to happen before this time. Uh-uh. That's not a faith. That which is not a faith is sin. If it's not a faith, it's carnal. Come on. Here you go, Lord. Just yielding that to you. Well, maybe you're just gonna you're gonna be here forever. You're gonna you're just be dealing with this in ten years. No, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna be thinking this way in five seconds. I yield it to you, Lord. And when it comes back, I take it captive. I, 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 I got so much to say. I, I remember being a a younger man. And I remember having these lustful thoughts. I, I remember I was driving my truck and I was having lustful thoughts. And I remember this scripture. And I, I remember I'm just praying. I'm driving down the road and I, I'm thinking, I just take those lustful thoughts right now out. Father, I confess to you this is sinful. It doesn't belong here. It's carnal. It's degrading to women. It's degrading to your child of God. And I just, I, I took it like that. And I was like, Lord, and I give it to you. I bring it under your obedience. Breakthrough. The greatest, you know, there wasn't like there were ever other thoughts that didn't come that needed to be submitted because there were. And there are thoughts every day that come into my mind, just like your mind, that need to be submitted. So we take them captive. We don't justify them. We say, that's not of the spirit of God. Lord, here you go got to rewire some things. We got to rewire panic for praise. We've got to rewire worry for worship. We've got to rewire. We've got to start thinking differently by taking those thoughts captive.